Welcome to Grace Point. Uh, I've just returned from uh, one of our global adventures. If you're first time with us, uh, uh, g- g- glad to have you. And if you, I've missed being here, but God has been at work where uh, our team has been, and there's a lot more to share on that. We've got more to come in the weeks ahead. But uh, I don't know about you, but I gear up and I get pretty stoked about an international flight. Uh, international flights and airplane food and walking through airports and layovers and things like that. Y'all get excited about that kind of stuff? I actually do. Uh, now, when I'm in it, I tell people this, flying and traveling is so romantic until you're doing it. Uh, I get all excited about it. I get my books planned that I'm going to read, my journals. I pack them in my backpack. It is chock-a-block full. I mean, if they waited, it would probably be more than the bag that I checked. Uh, and so I've got all these big plans of all this that I'm going to read and just take in while I'm on the plane. And, and I get on the plane, and I don't even get out of inter- I don't even get into international airspace before I am zonked. And like, I'm tired of studying. I'm tired of reading. So what else do you do when you have more eight hours more in the air? You watch movies, uh, and that's the good thing about the plane is, especially if you're, if you're a kid, you can watch endless movies. I mean, they're just on there. They're the new ones, and, and you get to watch them, and there's no excuse because what else are you going to do? Your mom and dad can't tell you to go out and play uh, because there's nowhere else, so you just sit there and you watch the movies. I'm, I, I kind of like movies. I like good movies, not bad movies. I like, uh, so I'm kind of a, a movie critic. I want to hear what a good movie is before it gets there, and I like different genres of movies. I have the, the Jason Bourne genre of movie, and my family knows about that. Uh, and I, I'm always looking for a good Jason Bourne movie. But I'm also, I, now don't judge me on this. This should be a judgment-free zone. I'm a chick flick kind of guy. All right. Do I have any other guys that are willing to join me on the stage and say that you're a chick flick guy? Thank you, Doc. Anybody else? Thank you. All right. You like a chick flick, Jack? I like that. I knew I liked you. Uh, so, you know, I like a good chick flick movie. Uh, I don't know what it is about it. I just kind of get into it. And if it's a good one, I'll, I'll like it. So, I, I was thinking about several lines of chick flick movies, and it takes a while for a good line. And guys, if you're good, you might be able to weave these into your own conversations uh, and, and, and woo and swoo some people over. And so I, I actually did the Google. That's what you do when you're looking for, when you're doing research nowadays is you go to Google. And, um, and I asked Google, what were some famous uh, romantic uh, lines from movies. And this is a few of them that, that popped up. Now it takes a while for it to kind of stick, but this is one that has stick. Nottingham, Nottingham, excuse me. Uh, not one of my favorite movies, but it's one, a good line. I'm, uh, I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. It's like, mm, you just kind of feel this kind of softness kind of come over you when you read that. Uh, now, this is one. The next one is going to be one that dates back to 1942. And this movie actually has three popular lines in it. I'm only going to mention two of them. But this movie, I was in, in Morocco uh, one time and literally on a tour of Morocco. And the guide took us by where this movie, Casablanca, was filmed. And the movie's line are, and maybe you, you will know these, is that we'll always have Paris... Uh, here's looking at you, kid. All right. Maybe, a, maybe, a, a not, you have to go watch the movie, I guess, to get it. I've never even seen the movie, but it was enough that the tour guide took us by and showed us the place where that movie was filmed. Uh, Princess Bride. How many of y'all have seen Princess Bride? 
Ah, oh, you got to love Princess Bride. Uh, this movie came out when Lori and I were da- was dating. I actually think I used this line on her at one time. It was when Wesley said to Buttercup, uh, when he kissed her, as you wish. Uh, just as you wish. If you use that with your, with your bride, uh, with your husband, as you wish, then uh, everything will come together, right? Uh, a movie that came out a few years after that, When Harry Met Sally. Now, not the scene. I'm not talking about the scene. I'm talking about the line. The actual original intent of the movie was that they would break up in the end. Uh, but Billy Crystal pulled a line out at the very end that actually was one of those lines that changed the entire ending. He ad-libbed this this line, and this is what it says. When you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. They changed the ending of the movie because Billy threw that line in there. Said, okay, you're going to stay together after that, and you're going to spend the rest of your life starting now. But I think one of the all-time, the best one-liner, three words in any movie, love story, if you will, a 1996 movie, and y'all are probably rolling through the Rolodex, or the index, that Rolodex is a little dated, uh, of your mind, thinking about what is that movie, what is that movie, it is Jerry Maguire. And they have this long discourse and, and all this kind of stuff. And he swoos her with his words. And what does she say? You say it with me. You. Oh, no, actually, that's not it. I'm sorry. There you go. No, you complete me. So you had me at hello, obviously got y'all, okay. This section over here anyway. Wow. All right. That's the line, actually, though. That is, uh, that is the, the line that, uh, of the movie that, uh, obviously, there's more than one ways to see that movie. But love has a way of completing us. Think about it. If you live a life and you have not experienced unconditional love, you are starving. If you've never given unconditional love, you've never really given love in its fullness, in its completeness. And we're going to be launching into a study where we're going to talk about the full breadth, width, and depth of love. And it's not something that I'm going to create on my own. It's something we're going to go to the, the Scriptures, and we're going to let the Scriptures speak to it. We're going to go to the, to the book of First John, the letter of First John, a five-chapter little book. But we're going to learn from this study the, the power and the impact of what love is. Okay, and it's more than a feeling, and it's more than a cute movie line. It is so much more than that. But here's one of the statements, and every time that you're going to see the word love in this series for the next several weeks, right up to Christmas, you're going to see the word love. I want you to say it with me, all right? Because I want it to begin to sink into your life, the power, the impact, the completeness, the, the, the totality of what love can mean in us when we own love, when we experience love, when we give love, the kind of love that completes us. The kind of love that makes us whole. And so you say love with me anytime we read scripture and there's love on the screen. So here we go. Here's our first one. First John chapter four, verse 18. There is no fear in, but perfect cast out fear. 
Now, I want you to just mark that. We're going to come in weeks later, and we're going to get to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to talk about perfect love. In fact, we're going to talk about perfect love throughout the whole time because what John is talking about throughout the beginning to the very end of this letter is perfect love, but he literally puts a qualifier on there as if there is perfect love and there is imperfect love. And I'm afraid of what we see advertised and what we see modeled and what we've seen for generations and maybe what we have modeled even in our own marriage and lives and in relationships is we've modeled maybe an imperfect love. And I want to move us up and I want to move us beyond. And I want to move us to a love that is a perfect kind of love. Because here's what love should do in all of us. Love should complete us. Love shouldn't deplete us. Love should complete us. It shouldn't deplete us. We've all had those love relationships that were toxic or broken or fractured, and they were literally draining us. That when we got around this person, that person, this situation, our children at times can even be that, where it literally drains us, it pulls us down, it empties us out. But that's not the kind of love that that we're speaking of here. Love endures through those times, absolutely. But the love that is beautiful and the love that it completes us, the perfect kind of love is what we're aiming at. And there is a model, there is a standard for that. There is a standard in which we are trying to live at when we talk about this kind of love that conquers the hate of this world. Another passage in just a few verses prior to that one is 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. It says, love, say it with me, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in this world we are like Jesus. This complete love is modeled and reflected in and should be modeled and demonstrated in the hearts and the lives of every believer who calls the name of Jesus. The love of Jesus completes us. What we are going to talk about in this series as we kick it off today is a love that is a perfect kind of love, a love that completes us, not a love that depletes us. A love that adds value to our life and that brings harmony in times of, of disharmony, that, that brings light in, 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 into the darkness of, a, of this day and age. It is a refining, it is a maturing, it is a completing, it is a perfecting, it is a sharpening, it is an all-sufficient quality kind of love. And there's not a person in this room that doesn't need that kind of love, that doesn't want that kind of love whether it is from their church or it is from the people in their circles of influence or it is from the person that they love and they're with the most, it's from their children. The kind of love that we are aiming at is what is spoken of in 1 John. 1 John speaks of love so much. In fact, outside of the book of Psalms in the Bible, the book of 1 John is the book that deals with love more than any. In the New Testament, it deals with love more than any other book 
whatsoever 24 times in five chapters. Think about that. Think about the percentage, percentage of that. Think about the ratio. Think about the density of love. When you come to the, God, to the book of 1 John, sorry, we just finished the gospel of John. I'll keep coming back to that and keep messing that up. But it's 1 John. As we're looking at this first letter from John, as we look at this, we understand that there is a densely packaged letter of love. If 1 Corinthians is the chapter, or 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter on love, 1 John is the letter of love. And whenever you come to the gospel of John, you find the theme word that we spoke of so often through the gospel of John is the word sent. You unlock the gospel of John by understanding what it means to be and to live sent. You understand and you unlock the first letter of John whenever you understand love. And we speak of love not again as a feeling or as a fad or as some kind of emotion that comes and goes or something that is, that is earned. It is, it is something that is greater than hate. And you don't have to look but past yesterday when 11 people were killed in a synagogue in Pittsburgh to see hatred in our streets. You don't have to look back, but last week and the week before that, when bombs were being sent out to people who, did, who, were, who didn't do any harm to the individual, they just had a different political view. And because they believed differently to them, then they felt like a bomb was due to be in their mailbox. Again, the hatred that, that seems to permeate seems to make up. We now have a category of crime in our society called hate crimes. There's other kinds of crimes, but there's hate crimes that are out there. You look at a hate crime, it's somebody who commits violence against somebody because of their race, religion, their, their, their sexual orientation, or something along those lines. You're just different than me, and I don't like your difference, and so therefore I'm going to show hate to you. It marks our society. And it was in Ju- July of uh, uh, a number of years ago, July 7th, 2016, whenever there was a shooting in Dallas. And I was on my study sabbatical. And it was at that t- point, again, it was one of those times that I just got shocked to the core. And it's like, this is just not right. And how is it that we are going to fix the violence and the hatred and the racism and the bigotry of our day and age and that just seems to be swelling up the political division? How are we going to fix this? We can put laws in place, and we should, and we, we, can, we can vote new people in and old people out, and we should maybe. You know, but the point is this, that if we don't have a better answer, a more full and complete and perfect answer, no laws, no government, no new relationship moving from this relationship to another relationship is going to fix the emptiness and the brokenness of hatred. There must be something deeper. May I say it to you again? Love completes us. Love shouldn't deplete us. Another First John passage. I'm just giving a quick survey here. Beloved, let us love. Say it with me. Let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You want to know what the birthmark of every believer of God is? Is that there is this perfect, complete kind of love that makes up them. 
And it's the mark, it's the birthmark that they are a child of God because they have this kind of love, not just any kind of love, the love that comes from God. And so we look at 1 John today, and you'll be finding it in your Bibles. It's way back in the New Testament. You'll probably pass through Hebrews and James and 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and you'll find 1 John almost to the very end, and you'll find uh, the, the, the letter of 1 John. He has two other letters that he writes, and John, and what we know about him is that he was the beloved disciple of Jesus. We just studied the Gospel of John. And the Gospel was John was written after the other three Gospels were written, and it was kind of like John putting the appendix on everything else that the other guys had left out. And so he writes the Gospel of John and kind of gives us a full picture of Jesus. But when he finishes writing the Gospel of John, several decades later, he starts writing these letters. Many scholars believe that he died in the Ephesus area and that he pastored in the Ephesus area because he had all these churches uh, that he writes in the book of Revelation of churches that he had influence speaking into. He had this tremendous pastoral's heart about him and this is just an example of a pastoral epistle, if you will. It's only, it's, in fact, we don't even know who the letter's written to. Some people suspect that it may have actually been a sermon that he shared, a message that he shared with them. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, unknown to this book. But as, as he writes this, he really takes us back to the gospel of John and the way he opens it up. So let's just look at the beginning and how he opens up the, the very first. And he just brings everybody back to Jesus as being the completer of what love and joy and peace and fulfillment in life is. He says, that which was from the beginning. Now, if you go back and you read Gospel of John, verse, chapter 1, verse 1, you're, you take that and you run it parallel to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, you're going to find a lot of similarities. In fact, the, the entire prologue of Gospel of John, the prologue of this, of this letter is almost identical in content. That which was from the beginning, which... We have heard. Now notice all the senses that they experienced Jesus. They heard Jesus. These are first-hand accounts, first generations. They literally had heard Jesus. John had been with Jesus, so we know that, which we have seen. We've seen Jesus. We, we were with Jesus. And it goes on, it says, with our eyes. And we looked upon, uh, upon ha- and having touched. So they, they've touched now. They've seen. They, they've heard. They've done everything but smell and taste him, all right, and, uh, of the senses. So Jesus is very real. Concerning the word of life, Jesus is the word of life talks about that in the Gospel of John. The life was made manifest, very clear, revealed to us that we have seen it. Again, he comes back to what he's seen and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life that was with the Father and has made manifest to us. And again, he goes on in the next verses and he says, seen and heard. So he's just bringing it back. Hey, guys and gals, hey, everyone, listen up here. You want to really get to the essence of life? And ultimately, he's going to be talking about love, as we know in the rest of the letter. You really want to get to the essence of love? You got to start with Jesus. If you don't get Jesus in the equation of what love is, If Hollywood is your equation of love, if if your emotions are your equation of love, if maybe the way you were raised in the family you were raised in is your equation of love, it's flawed. 
Outside of having a part of that equation, Jesus, as a part of that equation, it is an inferior and incomplete and imperfect love. So let's keep going. Why does he write this letter? Why does he preach this sermon? He tells us exactly why in verse 4. And that we are writing these things. I'm writing these things so that, Henneclaus, so that our joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. You, wanna, you want complete and satisfying and fulfilling and staying with you kind of joy. You want the kind of joy in a marriage, in a relationship with your children, in a relationship on the job, in a relationship in the church, in a relationship with anybody out there. You want to have that complete joy. You just want to have joy in your own heart, even as you live in your own skin. Listen to this letter. Because everything that John's going to write and everything that we're going to break down over the next eight weeks will be about making our joy complete, about having a complete love. So how does Jesus, if Jesus is the answer, and you knew that was going to be the answer, if Jesus is the answer, how does he complete it? How does he make it whole? There's several ways, real quickly. Number one, Jesus is our clarity. When you go on in the passage and you break it down, we'll see how God is something. He is called light. He is light. You know what is dark? What's dark? And I'm going to bring up some dark times in our, in our recent history because I want to compare and contrast, okay? What hate looks like and what love looks like and how love can trump hate. How, how love is greater than hate. And so I have to go to the dark side so I can bring light to, in, in, on the situation. And I have to say that there's been a lot of school shootings and there's been a lot of church shootings and there's been a lot of, of this kind of hatred just boiling up. But there's one time in recent American history when 26 and 7-year-old kids at Sandy Hook Elementary School were gunned down that I go, why on top of why? How much can a six or seven-year-old have done? I look at that darkness and I go, where is their hope and where is their light? And again, I just go back to yesterday. Worshippers that were worshiping in their own place, they weren't in the streets, they weren't causing disruptions, and how can anybody go in and kill 11 people? Just because they're different than them? Believe differently than them? If there is darkness, there will always be darkness until there is light. The default of humanity is darkness. And until there is light in the darkness, there will only be darkness. But here's what I want you to understand about light is that light will always be greater than darkness. You don't turn on darkness, you turn on the light. You don't chase out light, you chase out the darkness. And when light comes into a situation, this is why the answer is sometimes, there's a lot of answers probably out there, a lot of different answers to take care of the hate. But I'll tell you this, if we don't turn on light, there will always be darkness. And if God is not a part of the equation, I come back to it, there will always be darkness in this life. Verse 5, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you 
that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This metaphor of darkness and light and God being light has been throughout the scriptures. Jot these verses down. Do your own Bible study this week. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 to 38. Psalm 104, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. James chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. All of these use the metaphor of God being light and light taking care of the darkness and pushing it out. The very last message in the Pursuit series was a message where Jesus talks about him being the light of the world, but then he turns around, if you remember that, he talks about you are the light of the world. Because we have God in us, we become light of God. I'm not lighting of myself. I'm as dark as anybody. I'm as dark as the darkest person in this world outside of the light of Christ. But when the light of Christ is in me, I become his light. John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. What did I say you wrote this letter for? To complete our joy. The light that comes a part of our light, the love of Jesus in me is the light of life for me. I want to say that again. The love of Jesus in me is the light of life for me. I want you to say it with me. The the love of Jesus in me is the light of life for me. If I want to have light, if I want to share light, I've got to have the light of God inside of me because he is the light. Love is greater than the darkness of night because Because love is, trumps darkness any and every day of the week. Last Sunday, I was uh, walking the streets of Athens. I looked on my my watch to see how far we walked. I climbed 32 flights of stairs and walked five miles. Uh, Some buddies of mine, some new friends of mine, I'll call them uh, Bill and Chris because just to change their names up. And we climbed to the highest point in Athens. And we did church. Now, we didn't do church the way we do church in North America, where we look at our watch and we say, how much longer? We do church for an hour, we get in and we get out and we get home to watch football or to eat at some buffet in town. These guys are Muslim-born believers. In fact, one of them lost family and friends in Syria and was actually recruited by ISIS to join ISIS. I'll not name the one it is. Another one left his family and, uh, to, to get a better life out of a war-torn area and has now landed in Athens. And when he, became, when he came to Athens, he met a group of believers. These believers started loving on him, showing him the love of Christ, showing and sharing Christ in everyday conversations with everyday people. And that's exactly what these live sent people did. In fact, it was, a, it was a, uh, one of the big instrumental people in his life was a guy named Zach from Kansas who had moved over to Athens for three months. He was a college student. He took three months. He went and he moved to Athens. He worked with this organization that we, that we work with. And he just starts pouring in to Chris. And Chris is not his original name. His original name was a, was a strong Islamic name. But he becomes a follower of Christ. 
And so I'm standing here on a Sunday morning and I'm going to church thinking I'm going to get my one hour with my buddies and then we're going to go our separate ways. We might grab a bite to eat, but no, we want to have a discussion. They want to have a discussion and we continue a church discussion for five and a half hours. All we did was talk about the scriptures. We just spent time and we just talked about the Word of God and how the Word of God changes us and how, 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 how the, the difference it can make in your life. And this conversation is going on today. As this morning, I was texting back and forth with them because these are new believers and they can't get enough. And literally, had I not stopped it at five and a half hours, we would still be meeting. Because these are people that have experienced light and love and it changed them. And there's people in our world and we wonder why the hate's there. The hate is there because the love isn't there and the light isn't there. Number two, Jesus is our community. He's the one who brings us together. I'll tell you another refugee story uh, that I learned this past week was of a, of a different person than these brothers, but it was of one who became a follower of Christ in this whole crisis situation. And he goes home and he tells his mom and dad that he's now a follower of Jesus. Well, what would that would mean in, in his culture most of the times is, is, is disowning, potentially killing, losing his life and losing all of his family connections. This family decided to be gracious to him. They said, okay, you can now be a part. You're not a part of the family anymore. You can't sit at the table with us. You can't eat with us. You can't be in our family any longer. But the mother still had a compassion for her son. And so what she ended up doing is she said, you can come in when we go to bed and you can sleep in the kitchen. You can't sleep in your room. You can sleep in the kitchen. But before you, before we get up in the morning, you've got to be out of the house. And that was the life that was given to him. But he did it gladly to follow the light and the life of Christ. Why do I share these? It's because this is like frontline stuff. There's a work that's happening in this area of the world where it's the Bills and the Chrises that literally they have told some of their family but not all of their family that they're followers of Christ because the realization is, is that their life could be on the line. Their families will disown them. But they would rather have a family with God. And literally, Chris told me this last Sunday. He said, I may have lost my family, but he looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he was referring to Zach and he was referring to me and our group that just left from Grace Point. He says, but I have a new family. See, there's something that happens. And there's nothing beautiful and sad and tragic. He's lost his family. But it's something beautiful that happens whenever the love of Christ becomes a part of the narrative of people's lives and that it brings us together into community. Notice what it said in verse 6. It said, fellowship with him. It says, if we have fellowship with him while we are walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another. Now notice this, that fellowship with him is a requirement for fellowship with others. One of the key values of our church is that we want to promote transformative community with one another. It's because of phrases just like this in Scripture. 
that we have fellowship with one another. We're connected to one another. We belong to one another. In a message series that I'm preparing for the, the coming uh, year in the book of Ecclesiastes, I spent some extra time in Athens studying for it, a book that I was reading with a book called Margin. It's the title of the series in the coming year is Margin. And uh, so I was reading the book because we all need margin in our life. We all have so much, but we need more margin. But it was interesting. This book on margin talked about love. And that one of the things that we need in our life is genuine life-giving love. To have accepted the love of God is to have been armed and disarmed at the same time. No weapon is more powerful, but in using such a weapon, it is the user who is broken wide open. When you use love, when you give love, you are broken wide open. This is a love that cannot rightly be kept in. It is the bursting out love. It is the spilling out. It's the binds, uh, it binds to others. And when it binds to others, it heals, it knits hearts, and it builds community, and it brings everything together in perfect unity. I'm not speaking of some feely kind of love. I'm talking about a love that binds, brings us together in fellowship together. Number three, Jesus is our cleansing. He is our cleansing. If you look on in that passage of scripture, he keeps right on going. He said, we have fellowship one while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. Why is Jesus this, this secret ingredient, the secret sauce, if you will, behind this perfect, complete love? Is because this love is able to take all the wrong and the nasty of our life and make us whole again? Answer this question with me, please. What can wash away my sins? What can wash away my sins? Say it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow. Say it with me. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This blood, what does it do? It cleanses us, it says in verse 7. It doesn't just say it there, but it goes on and says it in verse 8. He talks about, excuse me, later on, it's going to talk about the cleansing power of God, of of Jesus again. But now hold on. Here's what the problem is for a lot of people is they don't see themselves as needing Jesus. They believe a lie. And they've deceived themselves. Verse 8 and 10 speak to that. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We literally are in darkness and we are creating greater darkness when we say we don't have a sin problem. So let's let none of us sit in this room today and think that, okay, this one doesn't apply to me. Listen, if the blood of Jesus has not touched your soul, you will never know the kind of love that completes us. You'll be still living in the kind of love that depletes us. Skip on down to verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, 
We make him a liar. Now, not only, not only we've deceived ourselves in verse eight, but now we're calling God a liar because in Romans chapter three, verse 10, it says that there is none righteous, not even one. Make him a liar and the word is not in us. We, we, we must realize that what the, the, the cleansing power of Jesus is there for us. And one of the greatest verses in all of 1 John is verse 9. Probably if any verse that anybody has ever memorized, it's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess, he comes back to this whole idea of sin in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. Now notice what he does. He does two things. Circle these words. To forgive and to cleanse. To forgive. You can wrong me and I will forgive you. I should forgive you. If I wrong you, please, please, please find it within you to forgive me. But here's one thing I can't do that only God can do. I can't cleanse. And you know what? You can't cleanse me. Only Jesus can do that. And only his blood can do that. That's why I'm saying, if Jesus is not a part of your equation of love, you are living with an inferior, incomplete, imperfect love. His love completes us. And anything short of that, that word uh, cleanse is the word that we get catharsis from. Healing comes through this. He forgives, but now notice this. Do not miss this. It is a promise that he will forgive and he will cleanse. But there's also another little caveat. There's a condition to that promise. We've got to confess. If we confess. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we cannot own ourselves in the real, raw, aligning with God, that this is a brokenness in my life, I am incomplete, I am inferior, I have brokenness in myself, then I will never, ever know the cleansing and the forgiving power of what Jesus' blood can do in our lives. I absolutely need that overwhelming power. Number four, Jesus is our connector. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, he is an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate. That word advocate is the same word for paraclete that Jesus used when he talked about the Holy Spirit. So who's the advocate? Who's the paraclete? Is it Jesus or is it the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. Because they're one. We have Jesus, who's an advocate in heaven, advocating for us. We have the Holy Spirit living in the the heart of a believer, who's advocating inside of us, with us, comforting us as we live out our life as children of God. This comforter, this connector advocate Jesus that he is, what is he doing? In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he lives to forever intercede with God on their behalf. I have a Father in heaven. I have a Savior in heaven who's right now interceding on my behalf, standing before the the Father. Paul wrote Timothy, and he said, there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. 
We're about to see some people give their profession, uh, declare their faith. They've already given themselves to following Jesus, and they're declared their faith in baptism. And so if you're being baptized today, if you'll do this right now, stand up, go out that door, and get ready because we're about to go into that. But what I want you to hear and see is that every one of these are declaring their faith in Jesus, that Jesus Christ is now their advocate and he is now uh, declaring before the Father, interceding before the Father. Love completes us. It shouldn't deplete us. I'll finish with this. Number five, Jesus is our course. There's a lot of text here that I'm flying through in rapid fashion. But we lost a spiritual giant this past week, in my, my opinion. A guy who pastored me from written word, not from a personal contact, but Eugene Peterson. He wrote a book called The Con- Contemplative Pastor. It's, it's a read that I have gone back and read multiple times. One of my favorites is his long walk of obedience in the same direction. Another that I read was his study through the the book of Jeremiah, how to run with the horses. But most of us know him from his paraphrased version of the Bible called The Message. 20 million copies have been sold. He talks about coming to the Word of God. And when we come to the Word of God, sometimes we get, we get lost in the, trying to find the meaning. He said this, when it comes to the Bible, the most important question we have to ask the text is not what does it mean, what can I obey? Because here's one thing about God we need to understand. God's love language is obedience. Doing what he said. He's like a father because he is. He doesn't give suggestions. He doesn't give alternatives. He doesn't give advice. He doesn't give recommendations. He gives directives. And there's times as a parent, we've all done that with our children. Why do we do that? Do we do that to rob them of their joy? No. We do that to give them a better life. Maybe we've experienced or we've seen things, whatever the case may be. But look what happens when we live a life of obedience to our Father and how Jesus completes us here. Verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, This is the proof. This is the evidence. This is the the, the proof that you're a follower of Christ if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, notice this, truly, read it with me, the love of God is perfected. You want perfect love? You want to have complete love? Walk in step with your Father. He is leading. He is guiding. His directives are giving us hope and a pathway that we can walk on. I wake up every day just like you. And I have these incredible voices in my head. One that calls my flesh out to do what it wants to do. In one, a still small voice of God that calls me to a life of surrender, a life of obedience, a life of love, a life of joy that's complete, 
a life of love that's perfected. And I make a choice every day and throughout the day. Which am I going to do? How am I going to live? And when I choose Christ and I choose his pathway, I choose a better way for my life. I choose hope. And it's not just something I white knuckle through it. It happens because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Christ's love completes us. It doesn't deplete us. It's perfected in us as we live in obedience to Christ. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I'm going to give you the the opportunity today to do something that we don't do very often. But I'm going to give you the opportunity, one, to give your life to Christ here right now, right where you sit. Just say to Jesus, Jesus, I give myself to you. I need you. My love is incomplete. My life is incomplete. I am living a fantasy love rather than a reality love, a love that changes and transforms and connects and a love that bridges the gaps and cleanses me of the darkness of my own life. I need that kind of love. To say in your own words, there's no magic formula. And then I'm going to challenge you. If you're here today and you know that is you, you need to give your life to Christ during this next song. And you want to take this challenge of what I call going home wet. Declare it in baptism. I'm going to be on the other side of that door where I just send everyone else out. If you want to meet me back there and talk about your life in Christ, I'll be there. You come during this song. Father God, this is your time. Pour out your spirit in this place. Do your beautiful work in us and complete us with complete joy and perfected love. The kind that you have, the kind that you give, and the kind that you offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand together. Let's worship together.